Welcome to the Expat Empire Podcast, the podcast where you can hear from expats around the world and learn how you can join them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for the 23rd episode of the Expat Empire Podcast. Before we jump into today's interview, I want to remind you that we at Expat Empire are offering free 30-minute consulting calls to anyone interested in moving abroad. It's never too soon to start planning for your next big life change. Whether you're looking to make your first move abroad, transition into life as a digital nomad, or just want someone to talk to about your moving dreams, we're ready to help you think about the next steps in your journey. Send us a message at expatempire.com and let us know your plans for this year. With that said, today we will be hearing from Louise Wiles. Louise moved with her family to Spain, Portugal, Madeira, and back to the UK over the last 25 years through her husband's career. She's navigated building an international career of her own as a trailing expat spouse, as well as raising a family across many countries and cultures. Without further ado, let's start the conversation. Hey, Louise, thanks so much for joining us today on the Expat Empire podcast. You're very welcome. Really excited to join you. Thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. You have really an awesome background, not just working in many different countries and moving around with your family, but also working in a very similar space here in the relocation kind of industry and helping people to move abroad. So definitely want to touch on that in our conversation today. But if you could start us off by just telling us a bit about where you're originally from, where around the world you've lived so far and where you're living right now, that'd be great. Okay. Well, I'm British. Um, so yeah, from the UK. And I, as a child, I lived in America and then didn't move again, came back to the UK when I was five and didn't move again. But actually did spend quite a lot of my summers abroad. My my dad was a scientist mm. or is a scientist and um, we would get to go and spend, you know, the whole summer in France and Denmark one year. So uh, yeah, I did spend time abroad, but not, you know, living full time. Then as an adult, I think probably 30, um, my husband's job took us to Spain. And so that's when it all started. And we moved to Madrid and lived there for a couple of years. Then we moved to Lisbon. And that's where my whole sort of experience with Portugal began. We lived in Portugal mm-hmm. for three years, then moved back to the UK for three years, then moved to Madeira for three, five years, and then back to Lisbon for four. And then we've moved back to the UK about five years ago. So yeah, Portugal featured <laughs> very highly in our relocation experience and um, a great affinity and love for, for Portugal. Yeah, that's fantastic. And definitely want to dive into that and compare our experiences and, and share what we've yeah seen and heard and loved and maybe loved less <laughs> about life in Portugal. So that'll be great. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, though, how you had that opportunity when you were young, spend some time in the United States. Well, my dad's a scientist, so yeah, right. he, he took a job in, when I remember, we lived on Long Island, so somewhere near Long Island. It was one of, one of the famous labs there. And um, yeah, the intention was to stay there for forever, I think. It was really a life move, but then the funding got removed from the research project and um, they decided, I think there were opportunities in the States, but they decided on balance they wanted to move back to the UK, so we moved back to the UK. But yeah, it was my dad's job that took us there. Do you think that those early experiences in your childhood were instrumental and sort of thinking as you were also, you know, getting older and getting more professional experience and and building, growing your family, that that would be something that you'd want to do? Was it always in the back of your mind or it just kind of came together and, and sort of by chance? Yeah, no, I don't think it was in the back of my mind at all, which was really 
yeah, I was just thinking about that as I was preparing for this conversation. I was just thinking about my sort of attitude to living abroad. And my husband, now he lived abroad as a child until the age of 11. His dad worked for ICI and he was born in Kenya. Then they lived in Australia and then Brazil. So he worked, lived abroad until 11, came back to the UK then. Now he was definitely the one of us that was most interested in living and working abroad. I remember a number of conversations about various jobs from with him about you know taking jobs I think there was one in Hong Kong and I think I probably Mm. talked him out of it which now I feel very (laughs) guilty and quite sad about but um, Mm. (laughs) uh, I think that was quite a good one but you know there was always this ongoing conversation between us but the point we moved to Madrid though he was working for was Allied Lions then it was a drinks company and they bought Domecq in Spain so he moved he was offered a job working with the consolidation team in Madrid so that's how he ended up and then I was working in the UK working for AXA Insurance and doing quite a lot of work for them in France but just not living in France you know just commuting backwards and forth and Mm. I I remember I was pretty loath to move to Madrid initially but that was around giving up my career and my job so but took me a while to make that decision to move too so we did kind of have this distance relationship for a while and I would travel to Madrid one weekend then he'd come back to the UK another but quite exotic quite exciting actually quite yeah I can imagine I remember arriving on Madrid at 11 10 o'clock at night and having left London you know on a Friday night after work and then going straight out for dinner because you know what Madrid's like nightlife and everything it was very very yeah exciting but then yeah you can't continue a relationship but well we were married at that point yeah not good for a Mm -hmm. in the end I did move to Madrid and yeah, it all started from there, really. And then probably I caught the bug. And it's quite interesting because we're now back in the UK. And I think I'm the one that's kind of, oh, where can we go next? And he's much more, oh, do we need to? So right, right. <laughs> the tables have turned. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As you were talking about, it was difficult for you to decide to make the move to go to Madrid, to leave your job mm-hmm. that you enjoyed mm-hmm. in the UK. So how did you kind of deal with that or come to terms with it or how did you think about continuing your career maybe in a different way but after you moved or was that something that you only figured out a little bit further down the path yeah I probably now I look back on it I didn't give it the consideration I probably should have done working for AXA there was an opportunity for me to do something in Madrid for them but I kind of chose not to really it's funny isn't it I I kind of had a mixed relationship with my job I loved what I was Hmm. doing I worked in learning and development but I didn't love one of the person people I was working for um, and so I was quite happy to leave that and that kind of relationship and move to Madrid once I had got my head around yeah okay I'm going to do this I left quite easily I think and saw hmm. it as an opportunity to think differently I remember being in Madrid the first three or four months and just thinking wow this is fantastic you know I was doing Spanish <laughs> lessons I wasn't having to get up early in the morning <laughs> I was right. just enjoying the city and um, I remember I joined the gym and I could go to the gym whenever I liked and I really enjoyed those first three or four months but actually, it was interesting. I got to about six or seven months in, and I really hit a spot where it's like, well, that was nice, but I can't do that for the rest of my life. I've got to do something, fill my time more productively. And so then I did start thinking about what. And because I'd always been interested in learning and development, it seemed quite a natural thing to do an English course. So I did a, a teaching English as a foreign language course at International House in Madrid and learned to be you know, a teacher and got a job teaching English and also had my own business as well. 
so for about 18 months to two years, I kept myself really busy um, teaching business English all over the city, which I loved because I had some amazing clients. You know, it's the palace and taught the, the furniture restorers and restoration team, which was just fascinating. And hmm. I remember an architect and I used to meet another client at ATM for churros and coffee and <laughs> in a cafe near. You know, it was just, it was, it was actually a really enjoyable um, way to, yeah, to earn money, amazing. actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so that's what I did for 18 months. But that really wasn't what I wanted to do so at the same time I started thinking you know what direction I would would have wanted to go in had I been continuing my career and one thing I always regretted was not having studied psychology as my uni degree I'd kind of thought about it and then veered in another direction so I then decided to do a graduate conversion course in psychology with the Open University from the UK, which was all distance learning by post because we weren't particularly online at this point. <laughs> right. Actually, to arrive in the post, and I'd come back for a week long courses here in the UK, did that, and then signed up for a master's in occupational psychology with Leicester University, and that was all by post too, and, and did that from a distance. So, yeah. It gave me the opportunity to redirect my career slightly, although I still work in the L&D training, coaching field. So that's kind of my passion. But yeah, yeah, in a way, it, it became the opportunity. Yeah, a great opportunity mm-hmm. for me in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it gave you that chance to indeed take a step back, figure out what was next for you and how to attack that from a different angle. And of yeah. course, going back for your graduate degree is an amazing opportunity. Yes. And as you were coming out of that, what did you think about in terms of then turning that new education, well, I guess, into your business, ultimately? Yeah, I mean, that all came from doing the master's because I had to do a dissertation and you have to do a bit of original research. And hmm. I decided to do it on international relocation. I hadn't realized that there was this wealth of research into sort of adjustments and you know moving around the world and how people adjust and the processes they go through in adjusting. And so I decided to focus on that. And that's what I did my dissertation on. By then, we'd moved to Portugal. So hmm. Right. Yeah, I think I interviewed about 50 expats in and around Lisbon. And that became my search project. And from that then came this interest in relocation and how people you know, choose to move and what makes it successful, what doesn't. And right. ultimately, yeah, from that, I developed my coaching business from there. That's great. And of course, you're coming at it from someone who has relocated multiple times. So as you were going through the process of interviewing other expats and doing your research, building your business, how did you kind of think through your own experience and how you could apply that to other people's situation? Because now you're able to take a bit more of a maybe objective view of it, and you can understand some of the maybe the psychological factors that were involved in the adjustments that you had to make as well. So did you have any kind of thoughts or breakthroughs and, you know, development in your own process as you went through that as well? Yeah, I think it was interesting to, because I suppose my dissertation focused on, because you always have to have a, you know, a theory that you're, you know, mm-hmm. or, or some kind of concept. So it was all around expectations and setting expectations. Right. And so I was interviewing people and asking them about sort of how their expectations impacted their ability to adjust and particularly around the expectations they had for company support because I was relating mm-hmm. it to the corporate sector. And you know, from that I learned, you know, yeah, some people were, were supported really well, others not at all. 
yeah, that did have an impact on the way they adjusted initially, but not longer term. You know, people found ways through it, whether they were supported well or not. Right. Which was interesting. Not to say that there shouldn't be any support, because I, I genuinely, you know, honestly believe that you know companies can do, and it does make a difference if they support well, and there's a whole you know, load of thought and ideas around that. But I kind of related it to my experience, where we didn't really ever have much support from companies. You know, they would provide mm. accommodation costs and you know, moving costs, but in terms of finding accommodation, in terms of sorting out documentation and utilities and all of that we always did that ourselves so I think it's really helpful if you can have that support and I would always recommend to people if you have the budget that you you do look for that support because it can save you so much time and it was only in our very last move last house move it wasn't even a location move we just moved one location from one house to another in cash guys and the agent offered to do a lot of the admin for us and we're like oh wow so we don't have to go and stand in these queues for all these <laughs> right. facilities and things and then I realized what a time saver that is and how actually how lovely it was to have that support so I'd always recommend people to yeah have a budget for that and get support for that but yeah so how did it influence my yeah the whole thing has fed into what I do so I yeah. wrote a book three years ago and a lot of the yeah, ideas that I developed from that first piece of research have been fed into that. And I subsequently did some other research in 2012 with my former business partner, looking at career choices of expat partners. And mm. so it's all kind of been a journey and it's all come together in the book and the way that I work with clients. But if there was one message I would take from it all, it would be around decision making. And, um, and of course, it depends on the type of person you are and you're, you know, whether you're a single person relocating for adventure and you know staying in countries for you know fairly short periods of time mm-hmm. versus people who are making you know life-changing longer-term decisions perhaps for retirement or you know to stay in the country for three or four years I think if you feel that latter person then really taking time to understand you know the challenges and the opportunities um, because I think you want to put yourself off but just because I think you want to make an informed decision I think from my research, what I realized was it wasn't so much the support, it was the expectations of support that mm. had an impact on people's ability to just adjust. So having expectations, setting realistic expectations about what it means to move and what impact that will have on your life and making sure that you know what you want from it. I think often people right. think about moving, oh, I'm going to move from the UK to Portugal. And it's all about that move, that physical move. And then they get to Portugal and then, it's, well, and I suppose this is what happened to me in Madrid. Oh, I got to Madrid and then it was, okay, so now what do I do with my life? And right. that's the same. So what I'm saying is at that point of decision, really think about what you're, why you're making this move professionally and personally and from a family perspective and what you want it to, or you hope for it to create for you. Sure. And to that end, I, I guess, taking that thread, you went from then Madrid to Portugal and mm-hmm. what was your expectation as you made that move and of course what caused it and how did you think that that might you know change your life and, and life of the rest of your family as well? Yeah well at that time it was just my husband and myself and he the reason for the move was that his boss was asked to go and run the business in Portugal and so he asked Phil to go as FD so that was why we ended up in Lisbon. Yeah, what were my expectations for it? I knew that I didn't want to continue teaching English professionally, So, but I was in the process of doing my master's. So 
I guess I spent the time wondering how I was going to <laughs> to create a business or a career for myself in Lisbon. Um, if I had my time again, I would have just got stuck into looking for some consultancy work. I didn't. Um, that was probably, if, if there was a mistake I made, it was that I kind of hung back a bit there. <laughs> and I wish I had I'd done more, been more proactive. I actually got very involved in them. There's a, an organisation that supports expats called International Women in Portugal, which runs out of, well, in the Cascais area, Lisbon area. Got very involved in that and volunteered for that and did quite a lot of English teaching, did go back to English teaching for them, but voluntarily. Yeah, I think probably... Yes, Mike, I didn't proactively think about my career enough there. And if I think about any time in my life when I really could have done with some sort of professional support, that that was probably it. I was right. a bit lost, I'll be honest. I enjoyed my time, though. I really loved living there. But then that came to an end and my husband got another job, actually working for an American company. Hmm. And he could choose. He was European finance director for them. And that meant he was going to travel hugely travel over the states or right across europe russia kazakhstan wow. so we needed it to be near a, an air, airport hub we could have stayed in lisbon but you know it was always going to be an extra flight to a hub to then often yeah. move on to the next so we moved back to the uk and yeah so that kind of brought that to a close and at that point i was pregnant with our first daughter so then that changed mm. everything <laughs> yeah <laughs> suddenly there's a lot more to plan for if you were to yeah. well as you did eventually make another move um yeah. or two yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. so yeah. yeah how did it feel to get back into the uk after i guess by that point about maybe five or so years being abroad across two countries it must have been kind of interesting to reintegrate did you move back into the same city that you were in before or was it a new city as well no no we moved to a different area but mm-hmm. near too far from my husband's parents who were about half an hour mm-hmm. from them and his sister was quite nearby so yeah and, and not yeah we knew the area so in that sense it was quite comfortable and comforting in a way because then I had my first daughter so it was lovely to be back mm-hmm. and have family around to support that I would say that was the sort of big plus yeah, it took me a while. I think probably we arrived oh, two or three months before I had my daughter. So I was adjusting to moving back to the UK, but also to motherhood. Um, so the two right. were combined together and my husband was traveling huge amounts. He was often not around. So also adjusting to being a mum on my own. Right. I'd say it was a particularly challenging time, but not just because of the repatriation you're coming back. Although that added a dimension although I suppose having a child that really helped as well because you know, in the UK that you do have amazing sort of postnatal support groups you know mm-hmm. the National Health Service puts you together with mothers and, and and so I made friends through that who perhaps I wouldn't have made you know otherwise and I really did enjoy being a mum and so I did actually make the decision when my daughter was about six months old, that I would just focus on being a mum for a while. I remember having the conversation with her husband and mm-hmm. he said, you don't have to go back to work, but you know, I'd always said I wanted to. And at that point, I decided I didn't want to for about, <laughs> it didn't last very long, but I did you know, have about <laughs> a year, year and a half. Yeah. Right. Just enjoying being a mum. And um, yeah, I think I kind of settled in quite well at that point. I had quite a lot of friends. We bought a house. And really kind of settled in to, yeah. to life here. Yeah. Yeah. And then uprooted again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. And, As we often do. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, quite very bizarrely. That was a really strange story because my husband was working for this American company, head mm-hmm. offices in Dallas. And really, though, for him to move up the ranks and up to the next positions, we would have had to go to Dallas. And I wasn't that keen. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I wonder whether that was the wrong decision. But he then just out of the blue got connected, got a contact from a headhunter that he'd been in touch with a few years earlier about a job in, in Madeira. And he, mm-hmm. and he hadn't looked at this email. It was an email that he'd had for Portugal and hadn't looked at it for months. And for some reason, this particular week, he looked and there was this email from this headhunter. And oh, so wow. he, then, he then decided, um, you know, we were talking, I think having children, you then start thinking about grandparents and proximity to grandparents. And had we moved to, to Dallas, we just wouldn't have had the connection and the contact that we have been able to have by being in Europe so for me that was a very big factor in our decision um, Mm -hmm. to be closer so that your grandparents could come and stay and we would come back to the UK more often if you're in Dallas it's an 11 hour flight I know my my parents would not have done it as frequently you know and probably yeah, wasn't yeah. a place that they really would choose to go and spend time, whereas they loved coming to Madeira. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure they loved to have any opportunity they could to a more island. Yeah. Or, or I yeah. guess they were an island, but, you know, a different type of island destination, let's say. Yes. Well, yes, very, <laughs> di- very different type. And, yeah, so they were very happy to do that. So that so family was a big factor in the decision there. Yeah, so we ended up then moving to Madeira, and we were there for five years. And at the time... You know, at the point we were in family life with two young kids, it was a really good place to be because the Portuguese love kids. They are great with kids. Mm. And it was, you know, such a, a nice climate as well. So a lot of outdoor living, incredibly safe. So, yeah, we really enjoyed those five years. So Madeira is a territory, a Portuguese island territory, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine it's quite different from living in the Lisbon area or Cascais, as you mentioned before. So I'd love just to hear a little bit about how that was for you in terms of adjusting to being back in a Portuguese-speaking place, but yet at the same time, not on the mainland, uh, not in continental Europe, and yeah. just maybe yeah. comparing a bit for our listeners. I think probably the one thing that sort of drew us quite initially and that perhaps was fortunate for the company my husband works for because it made us say yes, but was the familiarity actually. So, you know, arriving on this island, I could see it's Portuguese and it had that feel mm-hmm. for, for sure. It was familiar. It felt a bit like coming home in some ways, but then also with quite a strong British influence because there were a lot of, you know, the history going back a lot of English families on the island so Hmm. um a lot of English is spoken I mean I hardly ever had to speak Portuguese um when I was out because people just so happily speak to you in English you don't even start a conversation often in Portuguese I've found to to push that so yeah a a sense of comfort and familiarity for, for both those reasons really how does it differ from Lisbon well it's an island um, it's quite small, really. I mean, at least it has you know, what it has going for it is a lot of altitude. So it doesn't feel as small as it actually is, really, you know, when you think about mm-hmm. the actual size and dimensions. So and you're beautiful, lovely to go out and drive around the island. And I love I'm a very much a, a country walking type person versus a city person. So for me, yeah, lovely in that sense. Um, I loved being near the sea. 
and yeah easy living in the sense that people are friendly helpful I found and and the medicals I mean I had my second daughter and we moved I was forgetting this but when we moved I was three months pregnant with my second daughter so Mm. once again moving and settling in as well as being pregnant and having the changes that come with that so had my daughter there really good medical care um you know I never felt worried about my children and their health at all I could always find find really good uh, medical support was the timing consideration in relation to um, already being pregnant with your second daughter or did you just not have any concern just think okay let's just go now and then you know we'll figure out the (laughs) the rest of it once we get there yeah absolutely no I don't think I gave it any thought whatsoever really in that respect quite bizarre now when I look back on it I suppose but (laughs) now I had had an amazing um doctor of course consultant Uh, yeah it was fine actually and yeah I didn't really worry about it at all which I'm not a great warrior and I often think you know when things feel right you know that go with the flow and it felt the right the right thing for us to be doing so went with the flow well having said that from a, so the medical side of it all fine and lovely care and everything but I did find that first year on the island was incredibly tough um mm. it one way in which it differs from as a foreigner from living in Lisbon at Cascais areas there are not that many expats there's tourists there are retirees so okay there are expats but there right. retirees. but there aren't there weren't a huge number of younger people you know our age just there were some but not you know you don't have lots and lots of them there there weren't lots of expat groups I think things might have moved on and I think they might exist now but at that point there weren't and so making friends I remember was tougher but then I was at home a lot with babies so that's also difficult so I did find that bit of it challenging um but you know over time I met people and (laughs) made friends and then it was lovely and the the kids went to schools or nurseries and schools and met parents through that and and yeah, we had a, a very nice life. Do you think that that would have been something that, given the right opportunity, that you would still be living there today? Or did it ultimately kind of feel like it had its chapter, it had its time, but you were ready to move yeah. on after a few years? We proactively made the decision not to stay after five hmm. years. We always said to ourselves, we'd go for five years and then see. Yeah. So then we decided to Yeah, I think, you know, island living, it was comfortable living. It was very nice. But to sort of break into and be a real part of it, I don't know that we would ever have achieved that because you've got Mm. families on the area who've been there for generations. You know, it's it's quite an interesting community. And whilst people are welcoming, I don't think I ever really felt that I was a part of it, you know, and I don't know whether... I ever would have done that might be my character I don't know but we just got to the point where we thought we stay we'll end up staying forever and is this where we want to be forever and decided it probably wasn't so we moved to Lisbon and as part of a lot of the work my husband was doing was Lisbon based so it kind of made sense at that point right yeah moved to Lisbon you know better range of schools and you know so just more opportunities generally for living and and yeah and we knew it yeah. we knew Lisbon we knew what we were moving to so it was a proactive choice we weren't you know there was no other reason to move other than us choosing that actually we'd rather be in Lisbon than in in Funchal right did it feel like a bit of a 
quote unquote homecoming to when you were there before, or did you feel you had a distance or, you know, maybe you lived in a different part of town or the friends that you knew that you'd made before had moved on? Uh, how much did it feel like going back to Kashkash? Yeah, no, it was lovely because a few of my friends were still there. (laughs) So eight years later, we kind of reunited in different circumstances. You know, I'd known them before we'd all had kids and then went back and their kids were at school and and so were mine. So that was lovely. So, yeah. And then, yeah, just got settled into school life. I went, it was a completely different stage of life. So, you know, I was there before kids the first time and the second time with kids. So, different ways I've got involved with school and um, met many people through school and through the children really so yeah it was very different that second time um not better just different <laughs> <laughs> sure <laughs> and again so I guess after a couple of years there then was it for your husband's job that you moved again or was it just a desire to get back to the UK or what was kind of your thought process? Yeah, no, it was totally choice again. So all this mm. time my husband continued to do the same job. No, it was just actually six years ago. So it was just as the Portuguese economy was really nosediving. And, you know, we just felt we need to make a decision. Either we're going to stay in Portugal and really settle. So right. you know, we were renting houses. At the point we left, we, we moved back to Portugal and we moved four times in four years just because we had so many issues with houses uh, and stories that (laughs) (laughs) lessons learned but we just thought from an education perspective are we going to stay here I mean there would be nothing wrong with staying from an education perspective there and probably some pluses as well because the kids would have grown up you know half Portuguese and well my youngest daughter is Portuguese and she was born in Portugal and has Portuguese nationality but right yeah I think it was probably more the economic situation and thinking if things really are going to nosedive, perhaps we should go back to the UK. And then the age of my children as well. My eldest was just about to move from primary to secondary. So it seemed like a natural time to move her. And then also the other consideration, you know, parents getting older, being back so that the children could spend time with, you know, cousins and parents and grandparents sorry that was a big factor as well yeah that all makes sense were your children already fluently speaking portuguese my eldest was my youngest wasn't my youngest will never forgive me because when we lived in madeira um my eldest yeah so she was three or four when she joined the school they went to and in the primary years at that school they taught half a day in portuguese half a day in english because mm. most of their students were actually portuguese and they were put in the school to learn english before they then got put back into the portuguese system at age 9 okay <laughs> she would do the portuguese curriculum in the morning english in the afternoon so she was bilingual my youngest oh. i put into the nursery where they were trying to create a foundation of english on which to build in primary so all the tuition was done in English. And so she didn't learn very much Portuguese. And in fact, she was saying to me the other day, why did you just not put me into <laughs> the Trujimelior, which was up the road, just down the road from us, where she would have been you know, doing everything in Portuguese and she would have just been fluent. So, yeah, one big mistake for me there. I think, mm. and actually, if your parents are listening, when you have young children, very young children, you, you worry about putting them to an environment where perhaps the language is not their native one. I actually don't think it would have been an issue at all now. 
when I think back back on it, you know, I know the care would have been there and she'd have learned incredibly quickly. I mean, she was surrounded by Portuguese anyway. You know, at home, she would hear it, you know, from friends and, you know, in shops. And we had an empregada, Paula. She used to speak Portuguese all the time to us. So, you know, it wouldn't have been unusual Mm. for her to, to find herself in that situation. So I do feel perhaps we slightly failed her in that respect. <laughs> um, having said that, they both excel at languages here. So mm. obviously something stuck and they both seem to pick up the native Spanish. My youngest daughter does French as well. And they, they both seem to find it quite easy. So something right. stuck. Yeah. Mm. And not to maybe dig too much into a sore spot, but you were talking about some of the housing issues. So if you just have any takeaways or lessons <laughs> for our yeah. listeners uh, that you could share, that would be great. Okay, so on a practical level, when you're looking for a, a property, just make sure you think very carefully about the kind of day you go and look at one on. Mm. I mean, the first property we rented and we went back to Cascais the second time, well, we went to see on a beautiful September day. I remember it was a really warm, beautiful day. And they had all the windows open. There was a lovely pool in the back garden. And we just went, oh, yes, fantastic. And this is the one. And it wasn't ridiculously expensive. You know, a lot of the houses that we've been looking at like that with pools were just way out of our budget. This mm-hmm. one was not. We should have asked a question around that. Yeah, we didn't. right. <laughs> and, um, so we rented it. And then... Um, I remember we then moved in, uh, I think probably two or three months later, actually. And it was a really cold December day. And I remember my husband walking into the kitchen with some boxes and he just went, oh, we have made the biggest mistake here because we were all freezing. Oh, <laughs> and what no. we had was that there were storage heaters around the house, but they were useless. I mean, they just heated up the piece of wall they were against and right, that right. heat. Oh. And I mean, we spent a very shivery winter in the house. Oh, we had endless problems with it, including bailiffs turning up ready to take all our possessions because of a bill that the owner hadn't paid. I mean, it oh, was man. yeah, not the best at all. So what I would say, my advice is this, you know, go and look, look at a property and imagine living there on the worst day of the year when it's cold and <laughs> dark ask yourself serious questions about whether you'll be warm enough yeah and and just really look at all of the bathrooms the kitchens and just ask yourself you know does this look as though it's been well maintained is it you know is it all going to function and if it's below the market rate for that kind of property ask yourself why Mm. yeah i mean there's not much we could have done about the bailiffs because you know you, you don't know what's going on in your landlord's private life but that was a really traumatic experience for us because they were literally about to take everything from the house and apparently they can even though it was our possessions they actually have the legal right to take everything and they come with authority literally clear the house out and then you have to prove you know what was yours (laughs) so we ended up moving out over a weekend yeah i'm not surprised away and showed them our contract and they said right we're going away next time we come back we will be taking everything so we Uh, literally consulted with lawyers lawyers said get out and so we phoned a removal company which was getting to know us quite well by then because they'd already moved us twice and they came on a sunday and moved us out within 24 hours um into storage and rent oh anyway it was a bit of an experience but yeah just yeah just ask yourself some questions and if you meet the landlord you know ask some questions and just think, do I trust this person? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, these are good. Yeah, definitely good pieces of advice. (laughs) Did you have similar types of just 
I guess, housing issues and all the places that you've moved to, or maybe you've heard, I guess, the horror stories. I mean, I feel like from my experience, I've had difficulties with landlords, no matter where I've lived or moved or what part of the city I was in. Yeah. It's hard to give advice sometimes just because if it's a high demand place, sometimes you don't have so many options or, I mean, I think a good one is, of course, if it seems too good to be true, then it probably is. So, you know, keep a watch out for that. But it it can be hard to give advice when, yeah, in these difficult situations, you're in a foreign country, different language, the contracts in a different language, you're kind of just trying to figure everything out. You have all your stuff in storage, you're staying in hotels. Mm. So, yeah, I'm just curious if you if you had any success. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, needing find to find a company. Yeah, all of those reasons mean that yeah, you you sort of want to find something, don't you? And and certainly, you know, around the cash era, and I don't think it's diff- any different now. You know, demand for property is quite high, so finding something nice was always a challenge. Mm-hmm. And it, we moved out of this house into an, a new one, and um, <laughs> this was a brand new property. And perhaps we should have asked ourselves questions about that as well. Mm. And we ended up having a lot of problems with that property too and mm-hmm. ended up moving out of that one and finally moved into an apartment, which was absolutely lovely. And this is where we lucked out because this was just before, the year before we decided to, well, we were beginning to think we would probably come back to the UK, but you know, the market had nosedived. And we used to drive past this apartment block and think, oh, it would be fantastic to live there, but the apartments were just far too expensive. And right. then we managed to get one of the penthouses at the top for a lot less than it had been you know, two years prior. And a lot less than it would ever be now as well. And so we had this lovely apartment for one year and nothing went wrong in it. And it was <laughs> as lovely as it looked when we were moved in and the facilities all worked. So but sometimes it's down to luck as well, unfortunately. Sure. Yeah. I would just say, particularly in Portugal, knowing properties in Portugal, you know, take a walk around and, and just think about the materials that have used to, been used in construction. They're not hugely good at insulation. So... <laughs> Yep. Because yeah, you know, in the summer months you don't really need it, but in the winter months you do around Lisbon, it can get quite cold. So just check you've got good heating. And I've heard so many stories of damp, you know, pouring down walls and things. The same in Madeira as well. So, you know, just think about things like that and check that out. You can tell from smell. As soon as you walk in, if you can smell mm-hmm. damp, walk out again is my advice. But yeah, you make a judgment around hopefully and we we rented all our properties through agents so mm-hmm. they should have been great and good um so that's another thing when you worked with the agents you didn't have to pay for their services did you or no did that work? no no they were working yeah. yeah they got a cut from the from the te- um, the landlord yeah mm-hmm. right so i guess just to take us back now that you're back in the uk and take us actually maybe to the beginning of our discussion but you mentioned maybe that you're now having more of the living abroad or the travel bug and uh, you've <laughs> thought about you know what other possibilities might be out there for you so just love to hear about how the last years have been for you back in the UK and what's maybe surprised you if anything and how you're kind of thinking about your next years and what might be down the road for you yeah um oh how's it been back in the UK well <laughs> we had brexit i didn't know whether you've heard about brexit but i think um, i've heard about it but obviously that was at least sometime after you first got back so maybe hopefully you had at least a little bit of positive (laughs) good experience when you had first made the adjustment 
Yes. No, I mean, the, so the move back, it was mixed, to be honest, I think. Mm. My kids went to new school and they both struggled, definitely, the first three or four months. Um, it took quite a while for my youngest one to settle, more than my eldest. But they both, now, when they look back on it, they'll tell me it was yeah, a tough old start. Um, mm. Making friends. Yeah, they went to a school, they go to... They're very lucky because they go to a private school in Portsmouth, but it's a school where a lot of the kids have been there since you know, nursery and primary. So it's quite difficult to make friends and sort of break into friendship groups. And mm-hmm. I think they probably did feel quite different, uh, my two, and just you know different perspectives. I mean, my youngest had never lived in the UK, so her whole mm-hmm. yeah, for her, I don't think I realised. I think we realised what a culture shock it was for her. And it did take her a long time to, to settle. I think schools don't get that. Um, you know, I do quite a lot of work and speak a lot to people, third culture, people who've you know, talked about as third culture kids. So people who, kids who've grown up outside of their sort of parents' cultures and lived right. in, in, and lived around the world, you know, moving from international school to international school. And international schools are quite good and getting better at recognising that it takes time for kids to settle. You know, it's not something that happens in the first week. And I would say that for anyone moving around the country, even moving from one location to another. You know, schools have this expectation that it will buddy you up and you'll be settled within two weeks. Um, And that wasn't our experience at all. You know, they were perhaps settled, you know, there in the honeymoon phase, the usual sort of cultural adjustment experience, you know, for the first three or four weeks. And then it all goes wrong and um, it certainly did for both of us in different ways and so that was a challenge for sure and I was very much focused on that my husband because he still worked in Portugal was in Portugal a lot of the time so I was at home uh, with the kids and then I reacted to it and I really missed Portugal Um, I just remember that first November thinking I can't focus on anything I was trying to focus on my business I had a business partner who actually had also ironically we'd both been living abroad and she'd moved home to her um, home for her she'd not been home for 25 years but Scotland so we'd both been going through this experience and I I just remember really being quite well just sad very very sad um missing friends and you know what November here in the UK is like missing sun I mean the sun in Lisbon is amazing the blue skies missing all of that and and wondering what on earth we had done to be honest <laughs> and it did take me a good six months I think to get over that and mm. start to settle yeah I mean it, it wasn't you know we made a choice because we wanted to come back for family and education yeah for whatever reason we decided possibly the education would be better here I don't know whether that's true or not but um mm. That was the choice we made, but it wasn't. We weren't. We didn't leave because we hated our life in Portugal in any way. You know, mm-hmm. we really liked it. So it was. There was a lot of loss, I suppose, associated. I don't want to overemphasize that, but it, yeah, I was really sad. I was sure. really sad, and I sure. think the kids probably were, but they didn't know how to articulate that. So it made for a tough first year. Do you have any thoughts about? Oh, maybe we could uh, swing it to go back, or uh, did you have any of those? days or weeks <laughs> I think I've always even now yeah. <laughs> cool. yeah not really no because having mm. watched the kids settle once they did start to settle and had built their friendship groups then you know it kind of seemed to them make sense that we stayed and the school they are at is is lovely you know they're both really happy now and 
um, yeah, here we are in week two of lockdown again in the UK and right. they're online schooling now. They're both upstairs in their rooms. They have online schooling with their teachers there. The care is just amazing. So, hmm. yeah, from an educational perspective, it's been good. And my youngest daughter's really into sports and there's loads of sporting opportunities here. So that's all very positive. So, yeah, no, I, I w- wouldn't go back now, um, not whilst they're at the stage they're at. But yeah, I think in the back of my mind, I have this desire to move on one day. Whether it's splitting our time between the two, I don't know. Mm. Um, but I think the really unsettling thing for me about coming back has been Brexit, to be mm-hmm. brutally honest with you. And I mean, I really struggled at the time of the referendum and the outcome of that. And, right. and ever since, really. And, you know, with Brexit coming to the conclusion it did on you know, at the end of this year. And now, people beginning to realize what the restrictions mean <laughs> it just yeah, makes me so yeah. angry that it wasn't properly articulated and people didn't fully understand you know right. supermarkets apparently are running out of fruit and veg because things aren't you know getting through the border because of all the new bureaucracy that we were supposed to be not having um or the new ones being put in there. so you know but that's not the point for me the point for me is that i've always seen myself as you know british but part of europe as well and I just find it horrible that that identity has kind of been. I still see myself as that, but obviously yeah. I am British. My children, my youngest has Portuguese nationality, and so does my husband. So, in that sense, you know, at least we have that option. <laughs> exactly. That's a fortunate position to be in. Uh, obviously, not ideal, maybe in the way that you'd hoped, but I just was reading about. I think there were something like 18,000 new applications from British citizens here in Portugal to, you know, get residence permits. And it just opens that that huge task of, I mean, as I know, as an American citizen trying to live anywhere, pretty much just dealing with visas and residence Mm. and citizenship Mm. and all of that stuff. That's just a real pain. So I, I definitely feel for you and the rest of my British friends out there. Yeah, I just feel for the younger generation who won't have the freedom that we had as, you know, when we were mm. 30, you know, we had that freedom to go to Europe, to work in France, Spain, Portugal, um, really easily. And um, I just find it really sad that that, you know, won't be the case anymore. And I, I think we were very short-sighted. But anyway, that mm. gets into the whole political argument around it, which we won't <laughs> go into. But I suppose that for me, though, is the cultural challenge, because I'm obviously living right. in a country where people have you know are, are pro brexit and yeah it's kind of it's a bit like trump or not trump you know we kind mm-hmm. of it's a conversation you tend not to have actually but right, it's, right. it's there it's there and you, you know it's there so how has this maybe over the last years and especially the last handful with dealing with the fallout of brexit also affected your business and maybe provided some opportunities or some difficulties in that as well would love to just to hear about how you've developed your business and, and how you can help people to overcome some of these difficulties when they think about moving abroad. Yeah. And I think, you know, the whole sort of experience and Brexit's part of it, but just, you know, from first leaving when I was 30, it just means that I, I've experienced moving as you know, just newly married, but then also mm-hmm. as a mum and you know, with kids at different stages. So I totally understand the challenges that people face in terms of, you know, seeing it as an opportunity, but then facing some of what I call the hotspots, you know, mm. the, the, the challenges that, 
yeah, most people can overcome, but you have to work your way through. So it means that, yeah, I work with people um, understanding the reality of the situations and the challenges. And therefore, I can offer advice. I mean, I tend to offer advice around how people think about things because I obviously can't make decisions for them, but I can point them in the right direction, um, you know, and, and assist them as they make those decisions and, and start their plans so that's how this has all sort of helped me and I suppose I've linked it to the work you know the work that I did with my master's was all about corporate relocation and so I've linked it to that and that's what my book is all about you know, moving as mm. an international assignee and making it work for you and your family um, not just for you the assignee because that's <laughs> the other side of it I've seen you know the, the number of the partners who go to and the challenges they face in creating meaningful lives for themselves you know they leave careers behind often you know, professional identities that have to be re-established in a new location so that's part of the work I, I do as well working with partners um to, to work out how they make it all work positively for them too mm-hmm. um yeah you know I suppose this year yeah global mobility has been really challenged hasn't it and yep. you know people are either stuck in place or they're rethinking. I think what it does is highlight the importance of making informed decisions and deciding whether it's really, you know, and when I say risk, I don't mean high, high, high risk, but, you know, recognising that moving does have an element of risk. So you need to be open to that and to to think through it carefully. I don't mean to say no, but I think an informed decision where you, you understand what the potential challenges could be right. is really important because it helps you plan it and it helps you set realistic expectations um i think a lot of people fall down when their expectations are way in excess of the reality of the experience and that's when challenges arise so um setting realistic expectations is is really important yeah i completely agree i think that's one of the first things i would tell people as well is just you may think that being in the middle of Paris is going to be just amazing. You're having your coffees, your baguettes, you're doing your whole French thing. But when you actually have to deal with bureaucracy, with finding the apartment, with your job, with the French culture, with the language, you know, that's just one example, but you could pick a million different examples out there. It's going to be more difficult than it might be as someone's just thinking about it from the outset. And as you said, even earlier in your experience, okay, you had those great first months in Madrid, for example, so what's next? So I think just thinking through all that from the get-go is going to set people up better for success than just kind of going and crossing their fingers, <laughs> hoping for yeah. the best. Yeah, and I think it's difficult to know what your reality or what the experience is really going to be like until you're mm-hmm. living there because obviously you need to get there first. Right. I right. think to have some idea about how you want it to play out, you know, some vision of what you're wanting to create, is important and it doesn't have to be specifics with specific goals but just some idea that you then check against you know research and you know if you, so for example I don't know you use the example of Paris and and I suppose people I think often people associate places with holidays and yes you know, feel of a holiday well yes of course there's going to be elements of that when you move there of course you can make take that to the fullest advantage and enjoy it in that way. But you're also going to live your life there. Mm-hmm. And life comes with all the usual challenges it comes with <laughs> back home. You're not going to leave those. <laughs> in fact, as you've just said, it's in, those challenges are enhanced because you've got to get used to working in a different country, culture, with different processes, work, ways of being and working. 
So you need to be prepared for that and have that kind of adventurous spirit as well and an open mindset, flexibility. All of those things are really important. Yeah, 100%. That's great. Thanks for all of those insights. And I'd love just to hear about where our listeners can find out more about you and what you're up to. Okay, yes. So I have a podcast called Thriving Abroad. And David, you're going to appear on it in the next few weeks. So um, go and have a take a look at that. And I really, I suppose Thriving Abroad is all about understanding what it takes and what helps people to thrive internationally. So a lot of podcasts around, yeah, the challenge of relocation and transition. Mm-hmm. And I've got a new series coming up called Thriving Through Transitions, because mm-hmm. although we may not all be moving as much as we had been pre-pandemic, uh, we're all coping with a whole new set of transitions that you know, mm. an adjustment to the pandemic and the situation. So I've got some great interviews and conversations coming up on that subject. And also a book by the same name, Thriving Abroad, The Definitive Guide to Professional and Personal Relocation Success. So if you're looking for some tips and, um, yeah, just some insights into the things to think about before making a relocation, it's set into three um sections the first is pre-decision the second is planning and moving and the third is settling in so if you're looking for some tips there um that book might be helpful for you but yeah just go to thrivingbroad.com and you'll find out you'll see access to the podcast and the book there perfect well i'll definitely include all of those links in the show notes thank you so much for joining us today i really appreciated the conversation hearing all of your experiences over the last 20 years i think um being in all different countries and So thank you for joining and looking forward to keeping in touch and seeing where our international lives lead us. Thank you, David. Thanks for the opportunity and and lovely to talk to you today. Thanks to Louise for sharing her story with us. You can find the full transcript for this episode at expatempire.com. Music on this episode was produced by Eli Hermit. Please check him out on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and lets us know that we are putting out content that you appreciate. You can quickly find out where and how to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash expatempire. If you know anyone who might enjoy this podcast, please tell them about it so that we can continue growing the global expat empire community. Keep up to date on new Expat Empire podcast episodes by pressing the subscribe button in the podcasting app of your choice. You can also visit expatempire.com and sign up for the newsletter to get our free ebook, Top 10 Tips for Moving Abroad, right now. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Expat Empire, so be sure to follow us there. We're currently offering a free 30-minute consulting call to discuss your moving plans and how Expat Empire can help you to achieve them. Please visit our website to schedule your call today. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode in the coming weeks.